You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Okay, in 2013, Angel Rose and I had a wonderful woman on our radio show. She was from North Carolina and she was discussing the Aramaic translation of the Lord's Prayer. And that was a stunning show and we will put a link to it below this particular podcast so you can listen to it. But it really opened up a whole new line of inquiry, a whole new range of possibilities with what we've been handed down, what we've been led to believe. And just quite by accident, didn't we have our good friend Jamie Delaney in the house with us today? And we were talking about the Aramaic translations and how they've been distorted and twisted and turned and the versions of everything that we get today is so diluted. And didn't he announce to us that in his work as a film director, he was charged with a particular project for an Irish charity to go to East Africa, to Ethiopia. And he spent, I don't know, three weeks or a month in Ethiopia. And he was telling us this story of his experiences there. And during that period of time, he was very, very impressed with how they were speakers of Aramaic and they had Coptic Christianity way before our version of Christianity came down to us. So it opened up a whole new area of discussion. So I'm going to ask Jamie if you wouldn't mind just backtrack on our conversation for the benefit of our listeners and tell us how you got to Ethiopia in the first place, what you were doing there, and then the impact that it had on you. And then let that be the launch into the Lord's Prayer and the various other ideologies and meanings of the various scriptures that they have and the different versions that we have. But give us a little bit of background first, Jamie. Thank you, Hanny. So I was making a commercial for a kind of a Christian aid charity who help um, developing communities around the world. And the emphasis is on equipping those communities with tools to help themselves. So it's not an ongoing kind of need for them to keep pouring money into them they can kind of become self-sufficient and they were teaching these communities how to put in irrigation systems and and water collection points in ethiopia northern ethiopia on the the border of eritrea so um we got to Addis, the capital of ethiopia and started to trek up towards the north and kind of as a a two-hour flight and then a six-hour drive by bad road but all dotted all around the landscape are these hexagonal churches and what struck me was how how deeply religious or spiritual these people were and how mystic but also they were christian which is of the eastern orthodox or the eastern church but obviously that's my background my heritage would be Catholic, and it kind of struck me how their whole approach to their faith was quite different, in, in that it was quite mystical. And every day we, we seem to end up in a, in a church or a holy site of some description. 
And as I ask more questions, is the churches are quite different than what we're used to in Europe or North America or in in the West. Basically, they're they're hexagonal, and it, they represent basically the the eight sides represent the seven archangels, and the the last side, the eighth side, represents the one God. And then within the churches, they're separated into three chambers an inner chamber an outer chamber and then a, an outer outer chamber and they're representative of the the holy trinity which is hugely important in in eastern christian philosophy but what struck me was the the just this these kind of quite esoteric mystic traditions within christianity that seem to be quite evident within this kind of form of Christianity. And what, what struck me as well is it was so old that the inner chamber within these churches kind of represents the, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. And there's loads of dovetailing between kind of Judaism, a very early Christianity, into this form of uh, Egyptian Christianity, which, which I thought was really interesting in that. You could almost see the, the, the Jewish origins of Christianity. Now, I know from my own experience, when I was young and I left Holy Catholic Ireland and I spent a lot of time in the Arab countries and in India and Pakistan and all over, and what struck me was that in my upbringing, how limited I felt when I went abroad and was exposed to these different cultures. Did you feel some sense of awe when you were in Ethiopia with the depth and the, the age of their beliefs as opposed to our relatively new version of Christianity? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's kind of what struck me. Well, I, I don't know, I've always had an interest in those traditions, like early Christianity in Ireland and the British Isles has always been something that I've, or what they call the Celtic Church, is something that I've always had quite, quite an interest in. And what struck me was the parallels between the age of their Christian, I don't know, we, Ireland, when I say we, I mean Ireland or the British Isle, or Ireland in particular was kind of Christianized in the 5th century. And these had been Christian since the 1st century. So I, what struck me was it, it seemed to be a very true-to-form style of Christianity, you know? Original. Original, yeah. Un, slightly untainted. Whereas, and I think that's what intre always interested me in the Celtic Church, or, the, what, or what they call the Celtic Church in Ireland, before it was kind of Romanized, was that it seemed to be a, a much more original form of Christianity without the, the kind of parochial domination of Rome. And I suppose that in Ethiopia, kind of, that's what really sparked my interest was, I think, it, it kind of gave me a glimpse of that essence of the church. Now, we're speaking with Jamie Delaney, and for anybody who'd like to see the kind of work that he does, you can visit jamiedelaney.com, and you will actually see that, what do you call it, a little, a little advertisement? Is it a commercial? It's a short commercial for Trokera. It's called Trokera, an Irish charity. And you will see the effectiveness of his work there. But Jamie, I want to ask you another question. And we have had the benefit of having a discussion with Jamie prior to this particular show. And we just began to speak about ancient Ireland and how there may have been 
correlations between all of those ancient worlds that got distorted and twisted and uh, disconnected, let's call it. And one of those was, when we were speaking about Aramaic, we also brought up the subject of that ancient Irish language of Ogham, O-G-H-A-M. And you mentioned that it might indeed be older than Sanskrit. Can you tell us what you know about that? Okay, so I came across that online, so it mightn't be completely accurate, but um, there's huge parallels between Irish and Sanskrit. The root characters or root meanings of, of, of a lot of the words are very, very similar, like too similar to be accidental. And there is talk that the the first bef- before the Irish was Latinized, or they they took on Latin characters. They wrote in characters which was were called ogham, and basically your etches on along a straight line, representing consonant and vowel sounds. And each letter represented a a tree, a sacred tree. It was a, a, a Druidic language and has its origins in that tradition whereby trees are sacred. And, and each character, our tree, has a, a magical or um, energetic quality associated with it. But yeah, there is t- talk that this could be older, that it definitely is contemporary with Sanskrit by the fact that the root meanings of, of a lot of the words are the same, would indicate that there's a, a, connect, a, a connection between the, the two cultures. Well, what I find interesting about that and what sparked my interest in it was when you mentioned about Ogham, this ancient language, and this is connected into our discussion on Aramaic too, when we talk about the meaning that's been handed down to us, is very, very different to what's in the original Aramaic. And we know this from, for example, Dale Allen Hoffman's work on the translation of the Lord's Prayer. Our version of that is very different to to its original version. But you mentioned about each letter in the ancient Ogham language being a sound, a frequency. And what did those f- sounds mean? What Tell us about those frequencies. You, you mentioned a connection with the trees. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to understand like, Celtic culture from the earliest times. Of, um, all its traditions were oral. Nothing was written down. Like Irish folklore and, and a lot of those stories which we kind of know now, like Fiumacool and all those Bronze Age stories were first written down in the 5th, 6th century by Christian monks. And obviously were given a, a Christian slant but prior to that, and even well into the Christian age, the Druidic tradition was, it took 21 years, I think, to become a Druid, and that meant committing everything to memory. So nothing was written down. And one of the traditions within Druidism is, is the Bardic tradition, which it would be known as poetry and song and music and that kind of stuff. But it had a much more um, mystical aspect in that the power behind the words was incantation and had a a magical res- resonance harmonic resonance and these are locked in in the in in the ogham letters so each each letter has a has a magical power or or the power behind that 
that tree that it, it represents. So yeah, that I think that's that's a really interesting aspect to it. So that effectively means that they used Ogum then to to manifest particular things that they wanted. Probably, could you say that they were spells? Absolutely. They're spells. Okay, so, but those spells could be used for healing or for destruction. Because we know that, yeah. you know, the Celts were, you know, really famous for casting spells and curses when they'd have their wars go on. And um, we have been talking about this recently because of some of the work we're doing in terms of the effects that those things have through generations. Okay, and and undoing that, that whole process of do you, how do you undo those imprints in the generations and in the ancestry of us. So what you seem to be suggesting is that, and I would like to know also, is there anywhere where someone could look up that aspect of the Ogham language? Can you point us to learn about that? Because I happen to feel that there could be an undoing process in knowing the incantations of those trees, you know, we could maybe undo and do some historical cleansing or generational cleansing as well. And so that's just my initial thought, but do you know anywhere anyone could actually find that yeah, information? Yeah. I think even if you look, if you look up Ogham letters online, I think there's, there's probably hundreds of sites that explain what symbol correlates with which tree. And I know there is there has been books written on what those trees meant to the Gaelic population or to the to the Druids in particular, as by somebody working with them in a in a mystic esoteric way, it probably hasn't been done for quite a while, but I, I could imagine you could piece it together quite easily. You'd have to do some kind of research into it, but yeah i think I think it'd be quite easy to reconstruct the the magical effects and affects of the of the words. I have to say, I find that interesting, Angel Rose, what you're proposing there about using, looking at those original sounds, because they obviously did had, have great power. And it reminds me of my own work with the ancestral healing crests that I do, because I look to the sound of the person's name. But this brings an, a whole new added dimension to it when you might have different vowel sounds in in a person's name and each of those sounds would have its own power to go back in time and find what the original essence was before any distortion so i think this opening you're opening up a whole new range of possibilities here well it is true with your your crest and just for people who don't know is ahana will take a person's last name and go in with the intention to get an image that represents the person's last name before it went through any corruption or distortion or wars, and then he paints a new picture. But I, I, just in mentioning that, a lot of your images that you create for people, they're very sacred geometry-like. You know, there's a lot of geometry in them, and I wouldn't be surprised if you are actually rearranging the sound tone frequencies of their names when you're making these crests, and that's the reason why they're so healing. This discussion with the trees, you know, I'm fascinated with wands. You know, I collect tree branches from everywhere, you know, because I 
there's something in me that remembers that those trees are very powerful and very sacred. And remember, we did do a Akashic group record back in 2010, I believe, on the trees. We didn't get all of them, but we definitely got the sacred use of them. But this is very different because I actually have a collection of branches in the other room. I haven't made wands out of them yet. But that's why a wand is so powerful, though. Just a piece of stick that you carve or intend, or just the stick itself from different trees have different qualities. It reminds me of when I was making a, um, a wand when we lived over in Wicklow, and I kept breaking off a piece of this twig, and I kept getting guided to make it smaller and smaller, and I was saying, I don't understand this. Well, it ended up being only about five or six inches tall, remember? <laughs> and the top of it had a knot on it that no matter what I did, I couldn't cut it away. And it ended up being the head of a giraffe. Okay, it took the shape of a giraffe, the, the way that a giraffe's got that hair on top between its yeah. things. And I looked at it and got a bit disgusted with it, saying, you know, why am I carving a giraffe? But it came from a holly tree. And when I went back and looked up what we got from the Akashic Records on the holly, it was all about children, healing children. And I, then I realized I had made a child's wand. You're bringing all this back to me because I've, you know, I will collect branches and put them, they have to be out. Like, I didn't want them in the box. They're up on top of my craft thing. But you do get a sense of a sacredness about trees, and perhaps that's why they're so healing when you walk through the forest, is you're getting all those different, very strong and old energies. But what you're doing there too, though, is you're connecting the trees with sound, just like Jamie has done when he was talking about Ogham, the sound of those letters being connected with the trees. And why I like that is because we're going to come full circle now and let Jamie f finish his story about Ethiopia because in the video, little video, the little promotional video that he made for the charity, one of the things that struck me and I noticed very, very clearly from the very moment that the video started you left the original voice of the Ethiopians in there. In other words, you didn't try to translate it. You didn't hide the sound of their voices. They're actually speaking in their native language, and you just have a little, um, what do you call it, a, a subtitle along the bottom, just for us non-Aramaic non speakers, or non-Ethiopian speakers. But the voice, the original voice and sound of those people is actually what grips you. It's very, very gripping because it's, it's like, um, it's full of emotion, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, what, that's exactly what that video is, you, you set out to do with that video. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was the intention. And to, just to keep it as, as natural and authentic as possible, you know, and let, 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 people tell their story but just to come back to uh, Angle Rose what, what you said about collecting collecting trees and the, the, en the energy that certain trees have I think that's really evident and it, it, in, in the Irish tradition and it, it's, I, I think it's probably a remnant from Ogham in that trees are still kind of ascribed certain energies and, and especially in the fo fo Irish folk traditions uh, trees are still very much respected in that the ash is always considered a, a magical tree and in particular where you've got a 
they call it like a, a trinity of trees being the ash, the blackthorn, and the oak, where they where they grow together. They say there's magic or, or fairies in that area. And even old farmers or even guys my age who would quite old. I'm old, yeah, definitely very old. Would know of, of farms and, and rural places where they've have a, a thing called a lone tree, which is a, usually a, a, a blackthorn tree, and it will grow on its own in the middle of a field and <clears throat> look really unusual, but nobody will ever touch it, cut it down. Even people would be quite quite wary to, to even kind of go up too close to it because it's a it's a place of 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 magic and, and a place where the fairies dwell. Is that the kind of tree they always put not always, but yeah, sometimes you'd get a a thorn tree on top of a, a fairy rat, but um, not always, not always. The yeah, the yeah, well, that's really interesting. The the, the yew tree is like uh, again, it's represented in the Ogham alphabet. And it was a the yew is a very very uh, important tree to the druids, and it, the reason they put it in graveyards is it's it's a protection, and I think it's actually. It's that is a Celtic tradition that's kind of come into the modern age. The yew is a protection tree, but it's also a a portal between worlds. It, it, it can hold the vibration of to this world and and the other world. That's what they say. So they were always planted close to where the dead were buried or cremated or. I've got another little spin <coughs> on the yew tree. Now, not only is it spelled Y-E-W, but it sounds like Y-O-U. It's very personal to life and death. And in fact, it's the one branch that uh, the, the warriors used favor for making their bows. So in, in using it as a bow to kill with, it really represented the death side of it. And then it was the only tree that was planted in the graveyards as a portal into the next world. So it's got to do with life and death and you as, as a living being. Interesting energy with that tree. Absolutely. Mm. There's another interesting one actually that's just come to mind, and that's the, the alder. I think this comes from the Ogham alphabet. The alder is, in Irish tradi- folk tradition, the alder grows in, in quite wet conditions really, really well. And it's said that it's very hard to burn. And in the Irish folk traditions, it, it's common for people to hang a piece of alder in the house and it, it protects from fire. So that's just another example of, of how those mystic qualities of the, of, of the tree and, and ogham has come down to us today. Don't you know, too, when you think of how, when you go in a person's home and they have those sorts of twigs or branches in the home, I mean, immediately, though, you, you get a mystical feeling of when you see things like that. And it makes me go back to perhaps that's how we started making wreaths, you know, out of different vines and particular branches and all of that. Because when you see a wreath, too, you get a a warm feeling. And we have, even uh, in our home, a St. Bridget's Cross, it's actually made out of some type of a reed. It's not really a tree. Okay, but I know for myself, this is perhaps why for those of us who love cottages that seem to be surrounded by trees or when you do see these fairy rats, for myself, coming from America, 
walking into a graveyard, first of all, and seeing the yew trees everywhere in every graveyard, I mean, they do command a sacredness. As soon as you walk into the graveyard, you just get that feeling that those trees are important. Then when you go up a fairy wrath, some of the ones that you've brought up, they do have groves of trees on the top, and that's how we identify a fairy wrath from the highway. We happen to see a circle of trees. We know there could be a stone circle in there or something very important. But I think we do underestimate the power of trees. In fact, it isn't just trees. It's, it's nature itself. When you think about the power of nature that people are very disconnected from these days. And, you know, Hanu and I have started our own little project with water, which we will announce pretty soon. We're not quite ready, but certainly water has very strong power of nature, too, seeing as it runs under the earth, uh, throughout the earth. And there was even something that we read that the scientists believe there's whole oceans underneath the earth. Okay, that actually have more water than the oceans on the surface. And it brings up the question when there's been floods in the past, is it because the earth sinks down into these oceans as opposed to, you know, rainstorms that last forever? So this whole thing with water and the imprint and what runs through nature and what actually feeds those trees that we're talking about today and how that water moves, I mean, really it's the blood of the earth. Okay, but... There is a deep connection, a mystical connection that I, I think people do long for. I think that's what a lot of searching is for, where, where people feel they're missing something, something's disconnected. But I think it's a connection to this primal life force intelligence that runs through things that we miss. And I think we, we don't even have it in our bodies. Our bodies have even become dead to a point, you know, in the sense like, our cells are literally meant to have a fire inside of them that is turned on and activated and has tremendous power. And for most of us, we have to go through this process of kundalini rising in order for that to come back online. That's the reason we die, is we die because we're not turned on. You know, those regenerative abilities that are part of nature are not on in ourselves. Okay, in the last few minutes that we have of our show today with Jamie Delaney, you mentioned, Jamie, about you spending some time in Ethiopia, and Angel Rose was talking about that connection with, with nature and so on. Now, here are you as director and filmmaker. You're, you're working with the latest in technology, and you're abreast of all the technology that you need to be able to produce and direct films and videos and things. Did you find that there was a kind of an element of a disconnect when you were in Ethiopia, considering that you were looking at native peoples and their traditions were the original handed down traditions, oral traditions, going back a couple of thousand years? Did you find that there was a disconnect between your Western way of thinking or did you feel that they were abreast of everything when you got there? Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, the culture was... Uh, compared to a Western culture, it was very, uh, very, very different, but very similar at the same time. I found, I found a familiarity, and uh, almost it didn't feel, um, didn't feel alien at all, really. Which is where I was, I was actually surprised at how 
at home I felt there. And, and I've been to other parts of Africa before and maybe maybe it almost to me that the Ethiopian culture is, is so ancient and so rooted in, in Christianity and symbols and cultural foundations that are I would be quite au fait with being Irish and being European or uh, being from the West that have felt very, very um, familiar. Very familiar. Do you want to say a few words, Angel Rose, before we close? Yeah, I want to ask Jamie really, really quickly because he talks about Christianity being very mystical in Ethiopia. So could you give our listeners a little bit of the difference in your opinion, in your opinion between what is a mystical Christian and what is a Roman Christian? Okay, it's a good question. Because it's actually, there's, uh, it's a film that I'm quite interested in making is that I, I wanted to explore the mystic traditions in Western-based faiths or abryonic, the abryonic faiths, obviously Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Especially in the last 20, 30 years, there's such, such an interest in Eastern tradition spiritual traditions from India and China and Japan and I was really interested in those those kind of esoteric and mystic traditions within my own faith my background not not saying that I'm a my I'm culturally Christian or Catholic and I suppose so you have to go back to what mysticism is and mysticism means it's it's a your direct experience with God or with higher force or whatever you want to call it and they seem to be, that tradition and that kind of knowledge seems to be more evident in, Eastern, in the Eastern traditions like Hinduism and Buddhism and stuff. But it's also there in the, in the Christian traditions, it's there within the Islamic traditions and it's there within Judaism as well. But I think I started to go to, a, a, I went to a monastery, a Benedictine monastery that's quite, quite close to, well, an hour's drive from where my, my parents live in Ireland. Just because they do the evening Vespers, which are the Gregorian chants that monks have to do every evening at, at six o'clock. And in particular, these Benedictine monks, it's it's a big part, part of their tradition. But that is, in a sense, a, a meditative practice. And it's using, again, we were talking about harmonic resonant, resonancy and, and the vibration of words, especially sung, can have. And it's a, it's a transcendental practice. It's a mystic practice, you know, that gives you a, a direct connection with God or with your maker, whoever, whatever you want to call it. And that's just the thing. Within the Christian tradition, especially the Catholic tradition, it's, it's a lot of those esoteric traditions are kind of locked behind the walls of monastic orders, which is, I suppose, what it does is it, 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 it makes people, you have to be at a certain level or a certain awareness to find it, which is probably a good thing because I think somebody finding, finding these traditions who's not quite ready can kind of do themselves quite a bit of damage. Um, yeah, go, go a bit. Yeah, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of energy to deal with, you know, and I think you need to be, you need to be in, in the right space to do it. And also, also they use mantras and, and chants and meditation. So, so it is all there within within that Christian tradition, but it's been hidden. <laughs> it is true esoteric knowledge, you know, and it's hidden behind the walls of, of monastic institutions. But that's what I'd like to explore and, and open open up a bit, you know. And I think, I think coming from a, a Western culture and a Western background, for me, 
it's really interesting to understand those those traditions within my own culture rather than running to India or Japan or the East. Yeah. Okay, Ang- uh, Angel Rose and I are going to have to draw to a close now. Jamie, if you wouldn't mind, give people uh, an idea of how they can get in touch with you because many of our listeners would be interested in having little videos made or little commercials made and how they could get in touch with you. Thank you, Hanny. Yep, you can get in touch with me if you email me at jamie at jamiedelaney.com. So J-A-M-I-E at J-A-M-I-E D-E-L-A-N-E-Y dot com. Okay, super. That brings us to the end of our program today. We've been speaking with Jamie Delaney, filmmaker and director. And we started off talking originally about the hexagonal churches in that he found in Ethiopia. We then went on to talk about the wonderful language of Sanskrit and Aramaic. And then we touched on the ancient Celtic language of Ogham, O-G-H-A-M. We discussed mythology and Christianity and the translation of the Lord's Prayer. We talked a little bit about curses and spells and Angel Rose's desire to make wands out of the various trees like alder and oak and the power of the yew trees in graveyards and so on. We talked about fairy wraths and then we finished up speaking about mystical Christianity. Yeah. So, remember that Angel Rose's book is A Time of Change. That's available at atimeofchange.info. The Nature of Reality is at thenatureofreality.info. Wonderful mystic information in both of those books by Angel Rose. Remember, too, to tune in to worldofempowerment.com because on the first Sunday of every month we do a Akashic Records free online session. You'll find information about that at worldofempowerment.com. Now, we will have an announcement that Angel Rose really, really just very gently and timidly touched on. We're not ready to do it yet, but stay tuned. And remember that next week it could be you. Today it was Jamie Delaney. But if you'd like to come on our show and discuss your passion or your spiritual business, do contact us through worldofempowerment.com or at angelrose.com. So until next Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, We send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to Anu and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Benacht de Liv Galair. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.